What's going on, folks? Welcome to episode number 137 of the East Village Times podcast, the East Village Times Padres podcast. And uh, Mr. Dominic Stern and I are extremely happy today. Maybe it has something to do with a 14-year extension by Fernando Tatis Jr. Dominic, your thoughts? Well, that was a wild day for me because I went <laughs> to sleep the night before. I'm like, pitchers and catchers report tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be an awesome day. Yep. And the way my class schedule works here at Arizona State is that I only have classes on Tuesday and Thursday. So my Tuesdays and Thursdays are exhausting. And my Monday and Wednesday is kind of like my day to like relax and get some work done. And I had absolutely nothing planned for Wednesday. It was going to be a glorious Wednesday. Watch MLB Network all day. Watch them talk about baseball. And I went to bed at like 2 a.m. because I'm a college student. That's what I do. And I hear my roommate he, he leaves to go to class at like 8.15. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I fall, I'll fall back asleep. I'll wake up at 11. And he comes back like five minutes later. And I'm like, oh, he must have forgot something. Because I'm a very light sleeper. And he knocks on my door and he goes, Dom. And I'm like, what? And he's like, I have to talk to you. And then he opens the door. <laughs> he's like, so uh, about your car, Dom. Because I, I let him take my car. To, to go to school in Phoenix. He's like, I, uh, I was backing out the parking structure and I didn't see the pole and I nailed the pole. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, Oh, what a terrible way to start the day. So, uh, I then I had to spend some time at the, uh, Arizona collision center, uh, by, by window won't go down. It, it was, it was a big nightmare. Like, he's like, I couldn't see the pole, but like there's a big marking on the side door. Like it wasn't even close. Like he, very deliberately, like, I mean, it wasn't on purpose, but, <laughs> and then clearly hit the accelerator to go in. And then like, oh. it, it was, it was a mess. He's taking care of it. It's fine. But so my Wednesday was a total disaster. And then of course the news breaks later that night, that Fernando Tati senior sends the extension. And then all my friends were like, wow, Tom, you must be having such a great day. And I'm like, not really, but it's been a better end. And it, it was a cool extension to, to talk about that now. I was obviously a proponent. We talked about this on an episode earlier this year. I wanted to wait a year to extend them, but at the same time, like I'm not going to be like, Oh, why do we extend them? Like yeah. that was just my personal preference. Fernando Tatis Jr. is a Padre until 2034, 2035. So that's awesome. I hope that he can win a ring for the San Diego Padres and I look forward to watching him for the next 14 seasons. Yeah, it, it's pretty amazing and surreal to be a Padre fan right now. I mean, this is a franchise that's just historically just battered their fans. I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat that. I, you know, I'm, I'm a lot older than you. I've, I went through. Really? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Twice the age. Yeah. Let's let me let me just throw that out again. Um, hey, but by the time the, the Tatis extension's over, you're going to be close to my age. So just think about that. That, that is true. Very true. <laughs> um. You know, the the, the the franchise has really just battered the fans. I mean, from Sheffield to, to PV to Gonzalez. I mean, it's just – it's been rough being a Padre fan. Uh, to see them put their best foot forward 
and extend a player like that and to have a cast around. It's not just the extension of him. I mean, there's Machado, there's Hosmer, there's the, the bringing in the three pitchers this offseason. I mean, there's just, but I, I mean, I, I keep saying this, but there's just never been a better time to be a fan of this team. And if you are a fan of this team right now, enjoy it. It, it's it's we're going to get bandwagon fans fans are going to come out of the out of the works out of that never even been to san diego never even seen a padre game and, and that's what it's about and that's 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 it's fantastic that this ownership finally understood that they it's a business and in order in a business in order to make money you have to spend money and they're doing that and they're going to be fine financially all this this bullshit for lack of better words about them not being able to financially continue this the way they're spending is it's just it's just it's just crap so uh enjoy it party fans Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be here for a while and, and that's a great thing for San Diego yeah, and ownership about spending money, it's all about mentality because these guys, they buy the Padres, they clearly have the money to go out and want to afford these guys. It's whether or not they want to or not. And Seidler, he said, you know what? I want to go win a championship. And the only way to go do that is to go out and spend money. The Padres were already a top five payroll team before yeah. this extension, before signing Mark Melanson and Keone Kello, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So they're going out and the fan base has to reward Seidler for doing this. Go to games. Obviously, with the pandemic, it's different. But go to games, buy stuff. Don't. I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm a victim of buying a couple of jerseys uh, from overseas and having them come here. But try not to do that. I mean, yeah, every, yeah. every dollar, it, it's more expensive. It's more legit. But at the same time, yeah. the money's going back into our owner's pocket, exactly. which can allow the Padres to go out and spend more money to keep us winning and to keep us happy. So. It, you got you to reward our owners for going out and spending money because they are trying to provide us with a winning baseball team and they're doing a great job. Let's sell at Petco Park. Let's not sell our tickets to Dodger fans anymore or Giants fans anymore. Let's go to those games because Dodger fans, they call it Dodger Stadium South and they frankly deserve every right to do that because it is Dodger Stadium South. It, it was in their- the past. It was. It was. Let, it was. Let's not make it that anymore. No. Let's. Let's go have, you know, the Fairweather fans go, go to the games, the season ticket holders. Don't sell your tickets. Let's, let's, let's change that narrative, at least for the time being while the Potters are good. Let's not have them invade Petco Park because they will, like there's going to be Dodger fans there. That's, that's just a fact, but let's not make it the 60 to 75% Dodger fans like it has been in the past and try and limit it to 25% of capacity at Petco Park of being Dodger fans. Let's do that. But uh, let, let's let's change things. Let's change the narrative. As a lot of people have been saying on Twitter, they're not your Padres Padres, which I think is hilarious. And yeah. let, let's continue to change that. Let's let's put our fan base in control of that because we haven't really been able to like physically control anything about the Padres for a while. We've you know pushed some narratives of the Padres have followed, but let, let's crush that Dodger Stadium South, the AT and T slash Oracle Stadium South the Wrigley West narrative. Let, let's, let's go to the games. Let's support the Padres. Yeah. No, you make a great point. I mean, San Diego's made up of a lot of people who come from different uh, aspects of the world and different parts of, of our country. Uh, and there's just no way to limit the, it's not going to be hundred percent Padre fans, no matter what you do. Uh, there's a lot of Cub fans around. There's a lot of Dodger fans around. There's a lot of Giants fans around. That's just the, the, the just the product that we live in, the environment that we live in. That's fine. But like you said, 
spend money on the on the Padres, spend money in the in the Padres shop, spend money on this team and, and go to the games and support this team. I don't think it's going to be a problem anymore because this team has an identity now that they're brown. They have their own fan base. And, and it's, it's just again, it's just amazing to be a Padre fan right now. Uh, you mentioned the signing of Melanson and, and, and Keela uh, this week. Uh, a little bit of a disappointment in not bringing back Trevor Rosenthal, but when you see what he got from the A's, you can see why the Padres did it. I mean, Melanson is comparable to Rosenthal. Uh, and Melanson came to the Padres, took less money to come here. And that that says a lot to me. That that means that he wants to win. That means that he came to this team because he believes in it and he's got a lot of faith in the Padres. And that that means a lot. And Keel is 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 a, is a is a little monster that's that's hidden. I mean, you're talking about a he's still 27, 28 year old pitcher that that has um amazing curveball, just has health issues, uh, and and you're talking about a pitcher that you're not requiring to be your eighth inning setup guy. This is a guy who's gonna maybe hit sixth, seventh if he pitches well, go into the eighth. But the fact that this team has so much depth in the reliever core and, and just all around it is 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 just Kudos to Paige Preller for, for constructing this team. Yeah, I like both these guys as bullpen assets. And I had said continuously over the last couple of weeks that I didn't think Trevor Rosenthal was going to return to the San Diego Padres just because of the price tag. Obviously, would have loved to have him, but he's going to another place where he can also win in Oakland. He got paid $11 million. Interestingly enough, they're doing deferrals in a one-year deal, which is really odd. Yeah, that, God, that, the, what are the A's doing? They're... they're <sighs> It just it doesn't make any sense because you're just handicapping yourself down the line. Yes, yes, and you're already a, a team that has financial restraints, and, and you, you sign a pitcher for one year. If if they have a slow start, Rosenthal is going to be dealt by July. So you're you're hopefully get a return of prospects, but you're going to be paying millions of dollars for these prospects for the next couple of years. So it, it just I I I I hope it works out for them. I I I definitely want the A's to succeed because they represent a small market team, but that's just a bizarre deal in my eyes. I mean, it, the nature of the game has just changed. It's just a weird time uh, in Major League Baseball right now. Any other relevant news? I mean, spring training obviously started. Pitchers and catchers are there. Padres Twitter just uh, announced that they're allowing 1,960 fans into the Peoria Sports Complex for all Padres spring training games. Um, so what is that? That's, all- that's, that's like 10%, 5% capacity? I, I didn't read the article, but because okay. um, it was just released and we're obviously recording this. So, I mean, all, all of my alarms set to look at those ticket prices. Obviously, I'll, I'll have my car back for, for when those games start, but it's a long ride from Tempe to Peoria. So I'll probably be looking more at road games for Padres spring training, but figured I'd say that uh, fans will be allowed at Peoria if you want to make the trip out to go to spring training to not be able to interact with players yeah, you it's, know, it's a, a different couple, experience, but yes. it's but at the same time, I feel like you want to be able to see you saw the Potters in spring training the year they possibly won the World Series. Like, because of the Potters doing the World Series, I'm sure every fan's gonna be kicking themselves saying, Wish I saw them in spring training, you know, get get the feel of the vibe of the team before they do that. Now, I mean, obviously, yeah. it's a long shot, but it, it's something that fans, I'm sure, will be asking themselves, Is it worth it for me to go to spring training to? have to wear my mask the entire game, which as a person who attended a baseball game during the playoffs, it's not exactly the most enjoyable experience to wear your mask <laughs> for three hours during a game while you're socially distanced, but it's what's necessary. So you got to do that. Now, it's going to be no interaction with players. 
no autographs, no going to the backfields, and you're just going to be watching a basically a scrimmage. So yeah. you have to ask yourself, and, is that going to be worth it? And, and you're going to be you're going to be like 25, 50 feet apart because they're taking away the first three to five rows or something like that. Right. You can, you're not even near the, the players or are allowed to be near the players. Media is not allowed in the press boxes. Media is not allowed on the, in the, in the clubhouses. It, it's really a strange time. I, I feel for the beat writers that have to cover this team on a daily basis. I have to do so through zoom meetings and stuff, because it's really, ugh, it's just difficult, but it is what it is. We're, we're coping with it. Hopefully things progress. And at some point in 2021 fans are allowed at Petco park. Cause that would be awesome for, the players themselves to get feel the energy from this fan base while they play that, that that's something that kind of lacked for them last season and uh hopefully we get a chance to feel that this year yes and bob bob nightingale you gotta you gotta take it for where the source is bob nightingale tweeted that so if it came from nightingale do we interpret it but, as the exact opposite or i don't i don't well, know that's why that's why i made sure to sense i made sure to clarify that it's from nightingale he said there's this is the direct quote from what nightingale tweeted there is a growing sense of optimism among the five California-based MLB teams that they'll be able to have a limited amount of fans at their ballparks on opening day. So, oh, like I said, opening days out, then, right? So basically, right. <laughs> at, at, the, at the same time, you know, he is right on some things. On some things, he is right. I, I, yeah. I really, I really don't see that happening at opening day. I mean, we're talking about a month and a half. I just don't see that in California. They, you know, we all know what is happening here in California. We're being very cautious. And I think the second half of the year is more realistic. But, I mean, it's a fluid situation, so we'll just have to wait and see where where, where that takes us. I, I just don't – I don't think as a society we want to rush things and then have to go back backwards. It's just that we're at the point where we've been through it so long that we just want to make sure that everything is, is all right before we start to progress back to our normal life. So uh, it's just a tough time to, 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 to deal with uh, everything that uh, we're dealing with in this pandemic. Um, Dominic, we have Mr. Keith Law here joining us shortly. I mean, that's that's pretty, pretty awesome stuff right there, considering the athletic list just dropped yesterday uh, for the Padres top 20 list. Uh, interesting names on there. Uh, we are going to talk to Mr. Keith Law shortly. We will be right back. Welcome back, folks, to episode number 137 of the Padres EBT podcast. We are happy and pleased to be joined. Uh, Mr. Keith Law is here with us, uh, senior baseball writer for The Athletic, uh, just a vast knowledge uh, about the game. What's going on, Keith? How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm done writing, so that's a big help. Yeah, that, that had to have been a, a, a just a surmountable <laughs> task to complete that list. Uh, tell, give, give us a little bit of insight on that, if you would. Um, I started, you know, not counting, the, but obviously I'm always talking to people. In a normal year, I'm out seeing players, talking to scouts, gathering info. But um, this year, we didn't have much of that. And so I just came out of the holiday break. Um, what was that? January 4th. And said, all right, well, I have... You know, couple of weeks here till my deadline. I need to get started. And then of course we had our, all three of our kids were uh, home that week uh, because they had a, uh, just coming out of the holidays because people were stupid and were, you know, gathering and there were more yeah. cases reported within the school community. Um, so that was an extra challenge and yeah, it took until just earlier this week, I filed the Rockies were the last team I wrote up. 
awesome. so over the course of about five weeks or so from first phone call to final word filed, which is a little longer than usual, but I just decided to take the, take advantage of the fact that I had a longer schedule to try to avoid burning myself out too much by trying to get too much done on any individual day. Yeah. How difficult is compiling this list with, with 2020 stats being pretty much obsolete? I mean, you have to go by hearsay or, or what people saw in, in, in camps and what people saw at the extended spring trainings and stuff. Was it, was that difficult for you to evaluate a lot of these prospects? Yeah. I'll, I mean, I've, I've said this in multiple places. I, I don't like it. Like I, this is not what I wanted. I didn't want to do this. Um, didn't want to have the lists feel like this feel under informed compared to what I usually deliver the readers. Um, I did the best I could. And I, I know that like I can at least feel a little bit comfortable knowing that I did everything I could to get information, but it's not, this isn't what I should be providing to the readers. I understand circumstances beyond my control. So I'm not necessarily beating myself up over it, but the whole time I was thinking it'll be better next year. It'll be better next year. Next year I'll see players. Scouts will see players. We'll have data. I'll be able to do this stuff. I'll be able to do it the right way. In general, hopefully life will be better next year. Yes, I certainly hope so. My wife is fully vaccinated. Her parents are. We're getting there. Awesome. Awesome. It's just a, it's a process. Um, before we get more into prospects, let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room. And that's Fernando Tatis Jr. Signing his 14 year extension with the Padres. I'd love to hear your impression of that and, and whether or not you think that's uh, good for the game of baseball. Cause there's been a little bit of a debate on, on the, the, the logistics, yeah. I guess. of Yeah. Okay. So the debate is the owners and people carrying water for the owners saying it's bad for baseball <laughs> and everybody else recognizing yeah. that this is good for baseball. This is exactly. one of the best players, one of the five best players in the game getting paid appropriately and staying with his franchise likely is, you know, essentially small market franchise for the yeah. long haul. This is nothing but good news as far as I'm concerned. And I think that People who are trying to make this into some kind of negative are, they're literally just doing nothing but taking the owner's side in this. Um, Tatis is probably going to be underpaid for many years of this contract relative to the value he delivers to the Padres. Also, if you're a Padres fan, let's face it, the Padres have never really been, they've never really drawn, even in years when they were good, they've never really drawn commensurate with the team that they've been. There are a lot of reasons for that many of which have nothing to do with the team. A lot of people just say, hey, it's San Diego. It's a million other things to do, um, yeah. which I agree. If I could just live anywhere in the United States and never had to think, you know, didn't have family or other ties to keep me somewhere, I'd live in San Diego because there's a yeah. million things to do and the weather's perfect. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I'm sorry. I'm just like so over, I know it's only been a couple of days. I am so over anyone saying that this isn't good for baseball. The Padres can't last like this. How can they possibly pay him? Shut up. They can. He's good. They're going to win some things. I don't know that they're going to win a World Series necessarily with him there, but they're going to win. They're going to win a lot more games. They're going to be in the playoffs a lot more. They're going to be super exciting. People will turn on the TV just to watch the Padres. This is a good thing, and he should be paid for that. Can't wait to watch him for the next 14 years. It's going to be a joy. So let's get back to the prospect list that you just released Unlike some of the other prospect lists that we've seen come out over the past couple of weeks, you kept Mackenzie Gore at number one and CJ Abrams at number two. How close were you to putting CJ Abrams at number one in the Padres farm system? I'm not, that was never even a consideration. 
Yeah. Now, I mean, Mackenzie Gore is a number one starter. He gets compared to Clayton Kershaw. Now, I, you know, people who say that then, of course, turn around and say, you know, hey, we understand that's not really fair, et cetera. Okay, fine. Yes. That you can even utter that is indicative of just how ridiculous Gore's talent is. And he's also uh, closer to the big leagues. I mean, it's not out of the question. They won't need Gore right now because of the trades for starters, but there's no reason Gore couldn't pitch at some point in the big leagues. He, If he'd looked a little better, a little sharper at the alternate site, he would have pitched in the big leagues last year. Right. And Luis Campusano, you had him at number 38 in your top 100 and him at number three for your total list. He's been certainly a topic for discussion given the offseason that he's had. Do you still think that's going to impact him at all, given what you've heard about him? Or do you think he's just going to be able to go into spring training, ball out, and then play for the Padres in 2021? Are you talking about the marijuana charge? Yes. Uh, my understanding is that's all done. That's That case is finished. That's good. He's good to go. Yeah. That's interesting because we, we haven't had – there hasn't been like an official word, at least, that we've seen. So that's fantastic news. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm surprised that that's not out there, but yeah, he's, he is all clear and he'll be, I think he's in Arizona already. Yeah. Yeah, he is. But you know, things like that are unfortunate. I mean, he's, I don't know if you chalked it up to age, uh, obviously it's a, it's a little bit of a red flag, but it doesn't take away from his baseball performance. It's not like uh, an overwhelming thing in this day and age of, of the society that we live in. It just, I don't know. When when you look at prospects, do you do you look at something like that, or do you consider something like that as a a tick a downgrade for them? I I I um you know I feel like I always have to preface this by saying I personally am not a marijuana user. However, I think it should be decriminalized. Yeah. I don't really care if anybody uses it. If you show up at the ballpark on time, I kind of don't really care about anything like that that you do that really only affects you. Yeah. Um, and uh, half of baseball, you know, I'm just guesstimating, but yeah, well, a lot of a whole lot of big league players use the demon weed, and it's they seem to do just fine. Yeah, um, so. And let's face it, you know, if Luis Camposano is a white guy in Georgia, does this happen? Yeah, less likely. So. No, I think that's, I'm not worried. Look, if he got nailed with Coke or meth or something, yeah, that's a much bigger concern. Yeah. And then it becomes a concern of you're not going to show up to the ballpark on time or you're going to die. Yeah, really? It's, it, that's true. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's just, it's, it should be decriminalized and it's just kind of uh, just, it's a Southern thing, I guess, more than anything, right? Yeah. Um, let, yeah. Let's move on to CJ Abrams. We talked about him briefly. Um intriguing bat intriguing all-around player uh there are rumors that he could possibly play center field in the future uh, i'd love to hear your thoughts on that on whether that's feasible or whether or not he's able or capable of playing that position um he i'm sure he'd be a plus defender in center given his speeds okay. instincts etc okay i don't have that worry about him he's a shortstop somebody asked me this yeah. i don't know six months ago and they, people got a little freaked out it's like where you know what is abram's position I'm like he's a shortstop Yes, Fernando Tatis Jr. is also a shortstop. You'll cross that bridge when you come to it, right? That if Tatis is still the everyday shortstop, Tatis could move off the position. That is not out of the realm of possibility. He's great at shortstop. He's gotten better, actually, since he got to the big leagues. But if he slows down, if he gets a good bit bigger, if he um, you know, has some kind of an injury that makes it a better idea for him to move to third base, for example. Uh, 
you don't want to move Abrams off shortstop because he is a shortstop. He's probably going to be at their relative peaks. Abrams will be a better defensive shortstop than Tatis. You may say, well, we're not moving Tatis because he's already our shortstop and we're not going to move him in favor of a rookie. I, I mean, I understand that. There are a lot of variables that go into that decision. If Tatis is still the shortstop and they don't want to move him to another position, you just put Abrams in center field and call it a day and he'll be I think an elite defender out there, but for the time being, certainly CJ Abrams is going to start the year. I would assume in high a he's going to be a shortstop and he should be a shortstop. And not that you're trying to trade CJ Abrams. I think they would view him as untouchable, but you don't also don't want to reduce his value at all in the industry by moving him to a position, a little bit to the right on the defensive spectrum, because he's just more valuable to everybody as a shortstop. Yeah, no, I I, see, I I hear you. You don't really want to mess with him at, at this day age. I mean, he lost a a year of service time, if you will, or a year of of production or or development. Um, I think it is wise to keep him at short, and, and then, like you say, cross the bridge when it comes. Um, let's move on to Mr. Robert Hassel the uh, third, another young left-handed hitter for the team. Uh, line drive capabilities right now uh questions about the power do you think that the power will develop in time for him he's pretty lanky and and wiry strong right now uh it seems like it now i've seen him less than some of the other player most of the other players in the top of their list um i think he ends up with 50 to 55 power on that 20 to 80 scale so you know average to a little above average i wrote in my capsule on him for the top 100 that he's probably more doubles with 15 to 20 homers uh, but that he'll hit for quite a bit of average and a high on base percentage. And he can play some center field. Um, he'll probably stay in center field for the next couple of years. I think eventually he gets pushed out of center field just because teams want better defenders than that. And then he's got plenty of arm. If he has to go to right field. So you know, maybe he is not your prototypical 25 to 30 home run hitting right fielder, but maybe he's a you know high batting average, high on base percentage, you're thinking 35 to 40 doubles, 15 to 20 home runs with above average defense in right field. That's an all-star. Yeah, really. Yeah. Moving a little further down the list, you had Anderson Espinosa at nine, obviously hasn't pitched in professional ball in a very long time. What made you so confident to put him at number nine over some players? Uh, well, cause he's back. He's healthy. He's back up to 98, 99 again. Um, yeah. He's had a great, he had a great changeup before he got hurt. He's still got a great changeup. He's always been fastball changeup before breaking ball anyway. The one thing I heard from last year is that the breaking ball just isn't all the way back yet. That is a, not that uncommon for guys coming back from one Tommy John surgery, let alone two. And two, uh, breaking ball was always kind of a weak spot for him. You know, maybe he ends up, you know, I said his arm is fast. Usually guys who have arms that fast can end up with a fringy slider even if they don't really have a lot of natural ability to spin the ball. That may be the most likely outcome for him. They could probably try to teach him a cutter, which I think requires even a little bit less of that ability to spin the ball and just takes advantage of the arm speed, gives you something to keep hitters on both sides of the plate from sitting too much on the fastball. Uh, Any of those outcomes, I think, make him a potential big league starter. The concern is that he's a guy who's had two Tommy Johns. And there are some of those guys who come back to start, uh, but not a ton. And that's the one big thing working against him. But everything I heard on him last year was he looks that he looks good. We just actually have to see him now working some kind of, you know, I don't even know what they do with him, right? How many innings do you throw that guy throw? What role do you put him in? Do you make him start, but you're only throwing two to three innings a start to begin the 2021 season. We try to build you up to four to five by the end of the year. I don't know. We don't really have a template for guys like him. Yeah. Yeah. He's a fascinating case for sure. And one guy below him is Mason Thompson, another right-handed power arm. 
A lot of Padre fans seem to think that he could be a relief option for the Padres in the 2021 season. Do you see that as a possibility for him or do you think uh, he should be a starter? I mean, I'd never say never because guys do come up to the bullpen all the time. Um, you know, that can, that can happen quickly. However, I would bet heavily against that. I would bet heavily against him coming up and being a good relief option for them this year. That sounds a little bit to me like Padres fans being overly optimistic, saying, well, this guy's been in the system for five years. He's got to be ready. But he's not been consistently healthy, and he's not been consistently uh, he's not been consistent in terms of command and control. And I think if you put him in the bullpen, if he's having more command issues, and you just put him in the bullpen, it's not necessarily going to make them go away. Also, I'd really like to develop him as a starter if at all possible. You know, it's, odds are probably 60 40, he's a reliever at the end of the day. But this guy could have three above average or better pitches. We should at least try to start him maybe one more year at least before you give up on that. You're recognizing 2020 was lost anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of Mason Thompson. I'm rooting for him big time. He's just got so much upside and the injuries are just, it's a sad part of the game that there's just some players have to deal with. And hopefully he's able to get over that. Um, speaking of injuries, let's move on to Reggie Lawson. Someone who's coming back from Tommy John surgery, mm-hmm. uh, high work ethic. Uh, a lot of the guys in the locker room always seem to talk to me about how he's a leader and he, he, he's the first one out there wants to outwork everyone. Give me your thoughts on Mr. Lawson and whether or not you, you see him as a, a mid rotation starter type uh, piece for the Padres eventually. Yeah. He's another one. He's got to get healthy, but I thought he could yeah. be, you know, a two starter, well above league average starter uh, when okay. healthy. Um, okay. Love the stuff, love the athleticism. Padres have really tried to work a lot with him. Somebody, you know, these guys with their private coaches drive me in high school, sometimes drive me up the wall. Somebody changed his delivery from his junior summer to his senior spring, and he was not the same guy. And it cost him probably a million dollars in the draft, at least a half million dollars, I would say. And I think it set his career back um, by at least a year or so. But the more he's so athletic, the more that they can just get him, you know, keep him the longer stride finishing out over his front side, they say they think they've got him in a good place for that right now. His fastball will play up. He'll get better depth on the breaking ball. He'll just be more deceptive overall. It kills me when I see people make changes to kids that are for the worse. It's even more galling when it's someone as athletic as Lawson and they essentially made him less athletic in the, in terms of they took away the athleticism by altering the delivery. I still am a big fan and he was really good before he finally blew out. Uh, it looked like he was going to be on the fast track, but unfortunately we also knew at the time he was dealing with a little bit of something in the elbow and it just, he couldn't, it couldn't last. You know? Yeah. In in hindsight, he, he had surgery at a, at a, at a perfect time for him. Yes. Uh, professional level, right. I mean, you didn't miss much in last season and, and you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, let, let's stick to the pitching theme and talk about Ryan Weathers. Mm-hmm. Someone who came in, uh, in the playoffs last year, made a name for himself, a kind of, Rose up some people's stock boards throwing 96, 97, which we hadn't seen from him typically uh, out of, out of a reliever. He was throwing 96, 97. Uh, give me your thoughts on, on Mr. Weathers who, you know, obviously son of a major leaguer comes with a little bit of a pedigree. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on Ryan Weathers. Yeah. I didn't expect 95, 97 from him, um, but that's yeah. what he was showing to alternate sites. What he showed in the, in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, there are three possible outcomes I see for Weathers now all of which has him have him as a starter, right? There's the guy he was before this year where he was probably like a back-end starter, you know, plays a little above his stuff because of command and control. And because despite how he looks, he's actually a pretty good athlete. He's actually a really good athlete. He just doesn't look it because he looks like his dad. Um, <laughs> then, you know, this best case scenario, which is suddenly he's 95, 97 as a starter. 
um, and holds that and everything kind of gets better. His slider has gotten better because his arm is faster now. Yeah. And that guy's at least a number two starter, a well above league average starter, maybe pushing towards a one in a lot of rotations, um, especially because he's left-handed and he's got four pitches and he does have command and control. That's, I think probably not super likely. Um, my guess is 95, 97 was an artifact of, you know, throwing shorter stints and, you know, not, not real game conditions over at the alternate site. The most likely outcome is the third one, which is kind of in between. And I sort of outlined that at, in my capsule on him as 92, 95 and the slider's still better because his arm's faster and he's got four pitches and he throws a lot of strikes um, that's, you know, at least a mid rotation starter. It's no worse than a league average starter and a chance to be more. And I will say that's a big improvement over where he was a year ago. We're coming out of 19. I had a lot of scouts tell me, eh, I'm not sure about this one. He's real athletic, but he kind of pitches like a fifth starter with, with pretty marginal stuff. You know, first that full year, I think that was his first full first taste of full season ball. His stuff backed up a little bit. That's not that uncommon for high school kids, but we're not really great at figuring out which guys are going to get the stuff back in the second year. I think we're just guessing in a lot of cases. I'm glad to see that he has. I really don't think that first scenario I outlined where he's pitching back with like a 45 fastball. I don't think that's that likely. I think 92, 95, if he comes out and he's 92, 95 this year, you should be thrilled. That guy's going to pitch in your rotation for a long time. Yeah, yeah. There are actually some pictures that were released by the Potter's Twitter account that it looked like he slimmed up a little bit from what we saw in the postseason. So if that is actually just not edited, I, I don't know. I, it wasn't seen with my own eyes. I think that's a really good sign for him because that means he's more athletic. And I think that's going to lead to more promising career. Yep. Two, right-handed, two right-handed outfielders you had on your list at 13 and 14, Josh Mears and Jorge Onya. Mears you had as your prospect to probably break out for the Padres, and Jorge Onya saw some major league time at the end of last season. How do you view those two guys, and what made you put Mears over Onya? Um, uh, I don't see them as super similar. I mean, Mears is all upside, and he's a better athlete, and there's but there's still a lot of development ahead of him. Onya kind of is what he is. I mean, he was in the big leagues last year too, briefly. And, um, you know, I think he's going to hit enough to have some kind of major league career, um, but it's power over hit and that's going to kind of limit him. He may not necessarily be a big leaguer. Uh, you know, Mears is 13, Onyo is 14 in my Padres ranking. You know, Mears is ahead because I think there's a lot more upside, but it's not a huge difference because he's three years away and we have to see him. You know, we've barely seen him against pro pitching and he didn't face good pitching in high school. He played in Seattle and the high school baseball there is not that great. Um, whereas Onya there's value. He's a big leaguer right now. He's not that great. You know, it's probably never going to be a regular, never going to be an average regular, certainly, but there's enough power there that he could have some value right away as a bench bat. If he had to play a couple of weeks in a corner for you, he's probably not going to kill you, but you're almost, if he is an everyday corner outfielder for for you. And I, I just don't think that's going to be, be the case for the Padres because they have other players, but if he were, they would be looking to upgrade or thinking, all right, who's behind him, who can come and replace him and push him back to the bench. I have one more question for you. Uh, your first part of your other notes category on your recently uh, released athletic article lists Jagger Haynes as your first guy of note, fifth round draft pick in 2020. How close were you to putting him on your top 20? Was not, no, no, he's good. Um, but there's some, there's a whole lot of development 
ahead of him. He was great. You know, for a fifth round pick, I thought it was great. You should be taking shots like that. The Padres have type a type or several types they try to target in the draft. He's one of them. And I would rather take high school pitchers after first round anyway. So I'm all in on that. Um, but no, I thought uh, there's so much risk. The probability of a guy like that, nothing specifically against Heens, but I'm thinking certainly more of the category of high school pitchers, um, particularly guys where there's you know, a good bit of projection remaining, that the base rate of those guys just getting to the big leagues and having value is pretty low. Let's let him get out there and pitch this year. And you know what? I'm happy to have guys like that. I just feel like with teenage prospects too, I have time. Right? If that guy goes out and shows massive development in his first full year in a professional organization, I have plenty of time to revise the opinion and make sure he's ranked appropriately. It gives me the chance to get more information. And on Haynes, we just, you know, because he was a fifth rounder, he wasn't that. Uh, and because obviously because of the year we had, it's not like he was widely cross-checked. It's not like he had a full spring so that by May, suddenly he's touching 97 and he's in playoff games and we're seeing him against the best possible competition. We just missed all of that. So I'd rather be a little bit, um, I don't know if it's necessarily conservative or just make sure the ranking reflects the level of information that we have. Yeah, no, it, it's it's difficult to evaluate these these prospects that were drafted in the last couple of years because you're not seeing them against live hitting and you're not getting the stats that, that are just crucial in, in making these evaluations. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about Jacob Nix. Uh, yes, obviously we know about the doggy door incident. He's not, he's never going to live that down. Uh, he's pretty open to talking about that, which is kind of cool, but let's talk about him as a pitcher. Uh, reports have seen him up to 97, 98 with his fastball. Uh, he scrapped the slider, which I guess led to some elbow issues. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Nixon, whether or not he's going to be able to contribute at the major league level for this team? Maybe he's a, you know, they're allowed to have unlimited pitching staffs essentially at this point. Maybe he's a, Maybe he's got a chance as a reliever. Um, I mean, the problem is his stuff just didn't really progress even before okay. all of that stuff, all of the, you know, the, the off field breaking and entering whatever. And you know, it's, which my reaction to that too was, is there a substance abuse abuse question here? Um, mm-hmm. Good for him for being willing to talk about it. And hopefully all of that's behind him. But then we get back to the original issue, which is that his stuff hadn't progressed. He was in the big leagues. I think it was three years ago. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't miss a whole lot of bats. I think his fastball plays down from its velocity. Uh, I don't know that he has a real swing and miss offering. And that probably just makes him like a bullpen guy or a long man. Maybe he's a candidate to go somewhere else where there is a need for a starter and somebody said, okay, well, let's try to rework some things. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, some pitch design stuff. And the Padres, I think, just look at him and say, you're like 18th on the starter depth chart here, buddy. We got other guys. Yeah, that's that's the sad truth. I mean, this this system is just deep, and it's still deep, even though, uh, you know, let's just talk about that. AJ Preller pulled off a, a, a semi miracle in acquiring Darvish, Snell, and Musgrove, and in not really depleting their farm system all that much. I mean, losing Head, losing Patino was was rough, but when you're uh, valuable or you're a, a, a major league team and you're competing, you got to lose, you got to, you got to trade prospects. So give me your thoughts on the fact that AJ Preller was to, able to revamp this uh, rotation and, and do so with, without really hurting his farm system all that well. Yeah. Patino was the big, big guy you traded and yeah. that's a loss. And the Padres people will tell you straight out. We love yeah. Luis. We still think he's going to be really good. You know, mm-hmm. we saw last year that he probably wasn't going to be helping our rotation right away. Um, but that's not a way not to say that we've, that we don't think he's good. And I think the same is generally true of Hudson head, who I 
would say is the second best guy they traded in all of those deals. Um, same thing. They like head. Uh, they didn't have huge concerns. Um, they had like legit, you know, it's not like they'd lost faith in him, for example, but got to give something to get something. And I think in both of those cases, they were, you know, they felt like they were getting players who would help the 2021 club and who have club control beyond 2021. So it was worth making each of those deals beyond that. I think Preller did exactly what one, I think what he should do in his situation and two, what you should be doing, what and probably what the plan was all along, I would say, as he was building this farm system, which is to uh, go out and acquire, uh, you know, to flip the second and third tier prospects to go out and acquire help for the major league team. Once the major league team was contending, they made the playoffs last year uh, and they look pretty good in October, but you could also see where the weaknesses were. And with Mike Clevenger, obviously going to be out for this year and Chris Paddock and sort of the WTF category right now, uh, they had to do this. I love it. And in a winter where teams were like, yeah, we don't really feel like spending money. You know, who did he yeah. did the Mets have not a whole lot else. And I give them a ton of credit for that. This to me is, you know, Preller's first year obviously was pretty questionable and who knows how much of that was him and how much of that was ownership, but yeah. boy, is he more than made up for it. And I think from the day that that buying spree ended to now, it all looks like a pretty consistent, well thought out strategy. We're going to build a state of the art farm system that is overflowing with talent. You know, once we filled some major league gaps, we can then convert some of that into big league help right now. And they're really good. I understand the Dodgers are still there and they're still good, but the Padres are pretty close to them. And I do really like the Padres chances to get a playoff spot and advance in the postseason. Yeah. The, the Dodgers are the cream of the crop. I mean, there's no way around that. Uh, Padre fans don't want to hear that, but that that's, that's the reality. This team has improved. The Padres have improved. They're maybe not, not necessarily as good as the Dodgers. If I mean, the proof is in the pudding, right? When you go out there and play, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about how these teams match up against each other and, and how this is good for baseball to have a nice West coast rivalry like this kind of, I don't want to call it Yankees Red Sox because it's obviously not that, but you just your thoughts on the Padres taking on the Dodgers, a large market team. Um, the Dodgers are just better. And some of it is that they've had more money to spend, but the Dodgers have also been incredibly successful on the drafting player development front too. They've done a great job and they've traded well. They've traded for some prospects. I mean, they've done all the things the Padres have done, uh, you know, with the one exception of the Padres did have, you know, a couple of large international spending sprees that the, that the Dodgers didn't have, but the Dodgers have also been able to supplement that with, uh, with free agents. And they probably started a little bit sooner. Like if you trace back the Dodgers were getting, you know, the Corey Seegers into the system before the Padres had really uh, embarked on this current building strategy. And so the Padres are playing a little bit of catch up. Um, I, you know, the Padres have a better system now. They have a, I, I think without actually looking at actual ages, but I feel like they have a younger core offensive core, especially they're probably a little better set up over the next three to five years than the Dodgers are. The Dodgers of course can uh, patch over things by spending a lot of money there. So my guess is these two clubs, it's going to be one, two, two, one for the next couple of years. Um, and then once we get three to four years down the road, you know, Diamondbacks are going to be a lot more competitive. The Giants are going to be a lot more competitive, which was why I said, I don't even remember which piece because I've written so much about Padres trades, but the window is now. 
This, yeah. this was the time to do it. And it's not necessarily to say that 2021 is going to be their best season, but 2021 through 2023, that's probably their best chance to win the division and advance deep into the playoffs. So I was glad to see them start to convert some of the prospect depth into major league help now. And they still have some guys left. They still have the guys they're going to need to continue to fill out the major league roster. And they could probably still make a smaller trade if say they needed to bolster the bullpen at some point over the course of the season. Yeah, the way I've been justifying the Padres going win-now mode is that the Dodgers aren't going to go anywhere just because they're really good now. They're still going to be really good four or five years down the line. So mortgaging the future for right now is a good move for the Padres. And you mentioned uh, in the WTF category for Chris Paddock. How do you view him? Because he's essentially going into the season with the Padres as a number five starter, even though he started opening day last year. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what he is though. I mean, he's, he's a number five starter, but this guy's never had an average breaking ball. And I have had a lot of pleading from Padres fans. Oh, has it looked better? Have you heard it's better? It's better. No, it's not. It's not. He's, he does not have one. And at this point you have to assume he's never going to have one. He's a fastball changeup guy. And when he locates the fastball, what the changeup is ridiculous. Uh, and he has the velocity on the fastball when he locates the fastball. Well, he can be a league average star. He's probably never going to be more than that. And he's going to have outings where he may even have whole seasons, which he did last year, 60 game season where he's a well below average starter. Um, I don't have a, I, I am not in any position to diagnose what exactly went wrong for him last year. I can tell you that the fastball location was terrible, but why that is, I don't know. And I don't want to even try to hazard a guess. Cause I, I don't have one. Um, that's a, probably a better question for folks in the organization. If they, if they're willing to answer it, but he should be your fifth starter with a short leash. We got other guys behind you. We absolutely have starter depth now. And if you come out and you are not locating, you're going back to AAA and you're going to stay there until we feel like you're locating because you can't get to the, he is not getting to the changeup. That was the whole problem. Yeah. Um, and until he can locate the fastball enough, just enough to get ahead in the count, this guy can triple up on his changeup, but you know, man cannot live on changeup alone. And that is essentially the problem that he had last year was he just couldn't, couldn't get to it. You need a second pitch to set it up. And I don't know what that is. If that's better fastball location, or if they need to try to do something so that his fastball has a little bit more life to it. My guess is it's the former. He was a big strike thrower in in the minors. I hope he can get back there, but I admit to a little bit of frustration too, because watching him last year, it's you're not the same guy. And I don't understand what's different. Yeah. And I got one more. Jake Cronenworth had a standout rookie season and Trent Gershom had a breakout second season. Do you see those guys keeping up what they did for the Potters in 2020? Uh, I love Gershom. Uh, I'm really shocked at, at his defensive numbers in center. He was never that guy as a prospect. And I saw him see him all, all the way back to high school. But I think he can really hit. Um, and I believe in that. And if he has to move to a corner at some point, so what? He's going to hit. He's going to hit enough to be a really good regular. Cronenworth, I think, is like a really nice multi-position regular um, who probably plays four or five different spots and it's value through versatility. I don't think he's going to continue to hit like he hit last year, um, that he's going to have to probably move around a little bit to maintain some of that value. Also, I'd love to see him pitch. He was a two-way guy in the race system. And I assumed when the Padres got him, that's what they were going to do. Like he's the perfect guy for that. He's not such a good regular. You could say, Oh my God, we can't risk him on the mound. Uh, you know, could he throw 10 innings, 10 to 20 innings in relief? He was pretty good. Like I know scouts who saw him in AAA for the Rays said this guy could pitch in the big leagues. He'd be, you know, an 11th man on a staff, but so what there's value to that. <laughs> if he could do that and also play five days a week and fill in at a bunch of different positions. Awesome. Love to have that guy on my roster. 
Yeah, no, I, you know, I was there in spring training last year, uh, saw a couple bullpen sessions from him and, and was really surprised and impressed. I mean, you're talking about a left-handed middle infielder, left-handed batting middle infielder who's got a power right-handed arm. It was, it was pretty impressive. So yeah. he, he just broke out last year with the bat and the Padres really never got an opportunity to use him. Uh, it, sure. You know, he, and I mean, that's understandable. First off, thank you so much for your time, your time, Keith. I got a, I got a couple questions for you. If, mm-hmm. if you know, before we, before we hit you out of here, um, I, I'd love to talk about the major league team. We, we just talked about Cronenworth. Hassan Kim was a, a pickup by the Padres, a KBO superstar, if you will. Uh, I'd love to hear your impression on him. He's going to have problems hitting the fastball, but give me your thoughts on, on the young uh, Korean infielder. Yeah, I think he's, I think that's, that's exactly it. I think he's going to have a problem with contact, um, with catching up to major league velocity. I don't think he can play shortstop. It turns out they don't really need him to play shortstop. So that's probably fine, but that wasn't necessarily, you know, there were a lot of teams potentially looking at him as a shortstop. I think that was, um, probably a little bit optimistic and I, you know, often I, I think feel like it sounds like I'm down on guys who come over from KBO. Um, you know, I think that's a great league. I think that's a high quality league. But at the same time, I think we've also got to recognize that pitching is very different over the quality of pitching that they're facing there. And also just in general, I think you have fewer guys, and this is true of NPB as well, where, you know, pitching inside hard inside is just less, a less common strategy in those particular leagues than it is here. Um, And so that's another thing you've got to be ready to, to have guys adjust to. Um, I think he's, you know, he is also maybe a super utility guy. It sounds like he could, you know, he or Cronenworth, one of those guys is going to get the majority of the reps at second base. And that's fine. And let the other guy move around the field. Maybe they both do that. Um, yeah. yeah, that's great. I think that helps patch over some of the things rather than go out and make a huge investment in, um, you know, you didn't want to go out and buy a big shortstop this off season. That market was kind of, you know, there were a lot of teams looking and you don't want to go pay. Uh, I love Didi Gregorius, but you don't want to go pay him shortstop money to go play second base. So I like the versatility that it adds. I would just be very concerned about there's some swing issues. I think that are going to call, give him trouble hitting velocities. It's not just going to be a matter of getting used to it. I think yeah. it's a matter of this guy's probably just never going to hit good fastballs that regularly. You can have some big league value if you can't do that, especially if you have positional value too, but he's probably not an everyday second baseman on a championship club. Yeah. He's, he's definitely going to have to make some amendments to swing in order to, to just mm-hmm. make contact. Uh, Keith, thank you so much. Uh, you know, before we get out of here, uh, April 6th, the inside game is, is, is being released. Give us a little bit about that and what, what went into writing this book and, and how proud you are of it, if you would. Uh, thank you. Uh, so this is the, the book came out in hardcover last year is the paperback edition. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, excited, hopefully by that point, it'll be easier for me to get out and see people and sign some copies of the books, which we weren't able to do at all last year. But this yeah. is my book that combines, um, my interests, you know, combines my, my baseball experience with my own interest in, in behavioral economics and cognitive psychology and, and ideas that are very commonly discussed among front offices in baseball about how to recognize the biases that are inherent in all our, all our minds, all our decision-making and work around them so that we make better decisions. And I try to illustrate a lot of these, you know, where this is not stuff we're taught in school. Even if you took economics in school, you may never have learned about some of this. Um, I certainly didn't. And economics was part of my major in college. It wasn't until well afterwards that I learned about a lot of this stuff. And I wanted to be able to explain that in a way that anybody would be able to understand, regardless if you don't have an economics background or a psychology background. I wanted to make this stuff as clear and 
accessible to the lay audience as possible and also try to make it entertaining. And hopefully by telling baseball stories and, and just through my typical voice, I, I was able to do that. So you can pre-order it now, bookshop, Amazon, any local bookstore. April 6th is the release date. And I'm, I'm very excited to get this out into the world. Yeah, hopefully, you like you say, you'll be able to get out there and, and, and physically see people and, yeah. and hand them the copy and, and sign it for them and, and, and get to talk to some fans, right? Yep, absolutely. Cannot wait. That's an intriguing side of the game, really, to me, is, you know, something that you can't measure with statistics and stuff. That's, that's the way we're, we're going towards, right? Trying to evaluate players' uh, abilities, uh, not necessarily on the field, but what their goals and mindset is towards uh, getting better, right? I mean, that's yeah. tough to yeah, that's absolutely. I mean, that's the yeah. thing. This is all about, you know, what, Motivation. what are the advantages? It's, you know, teams are chasing more information. They're always chasing things on the R and D side, but one yeah. other thing you can chase is just make better decisions, improve your decision-making process. Yeah. Simple, simple, but, but, but difficult, right? But difficult. Uh, I agree. Exactly. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, senior baseball writer for the athletic Keith law. Uh, appreciate your time. We we could sit here and talk to you for hours, but I understand. <laughs> You, you actually have stuff to do today. So. This is true. <laughs> yes, I do. Thank you so much for your time, yeah. Keith. Uh, have a great one, man. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to episode 137 of the Padres East Village Times podcast. That was our discussion with Keith Law, senior baseball writer for The Athletic. He's got his new book coming out, The Inside Game, in April on paperback. Make sure to pick that up because we know Keith Law is an incredible baseball mind. Everything he writes is fantastic. He released his Padres 2021 prospect rankings, his top 20 yesterday on Thursday. We got to talk to him today. That was a pretty awesome opportunity to get to talk to him about something that he just released. Yeah, definitely. So it's nice to pick his his brain. Keith has been gracious to us uh, before. Uh, good friend of the show. I really sincerely appreciate his time. Uh, it, it's just it's nice to be able to kind of get his insight freshly off off this list and, and kind of pick his brain uh intriguing stuff I, I love that he had he admitted right away that that the list wasn't his best that he's created and that that's just showing the 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 honesty from him because it's tif- it's difficult to create a list in this day and age uh with no stats to go on from last season and, and no progression or regression in, in, in any of these prospects is visible so uh refreshing stuff from keith uh the top 20 list is definitely changed over the years for the Padres uh, before in constructing this list. It was like, you know, there's 40, 50 prospects that I got to squeeze into the top 30. Now this team has 10, 15 prospects that are highly regarded. And then there's a lot of fringe beyond that. A lot of question marks beyond that. Uh, a lot of young draft picks from the last two years that we just don't have a lot of information on anything in particular that, that sticks out in your mind uh, in their in conversation with Keith. Uh, well, how high he was still on Mackenzie Gore is of course a very good yeah. thing. And then he's also extremely high on Brian Weathers higher than some of the other people we had talked to. I mean, yeah. Kyle Glazer at baseball America is obviously they're high on him too. They also had him in the top 100, but Emily Pipeline didn't, so they're obviously the official ranking per se, but yeah. these guys, they they certainly have their sources as well. So to see him at number 77, him talking about how he could be a number two arm in the Potter's rotation in the near future could was certainly encouraging, but when you take into account that Blake Snell and you Darvish are going to be here for a couple more years, yeah. uh, it's going to be a little bit until that happens, but if Ryan Weathers and Mackenzie Gore could certainly fill in for those guys, the Padres rotation is in a very good spot to be very good for the foreseeable future. And of course him talking about the Dodgers, you know, it just, yeah. 
is that everything we knew about the Dodgers just from another mind? Uh, yeah. It's frustrating, but it's going to make the Padres' eventual success even more sweeter because getting over that big hump that is the Dodgers will, of course, be quite the accomplishment and knowing that all the pain that they've caused us over the past eight years will be gone. Yeah, yeah. Interesting stuff from Keith about Chris Paddock, uh, who I know hits hits home to you. Uh, right. Not not the most positive stuff from him on Paddock, and and the fact that he's just I don't know. Paddock is an yeah. enigma. There's a lot of question marks. I, him. And everything that he said, I think, is true. Like the breaking ball, it's not going to be anything like to worry about if you're an MLB hitter. It's fastball changeup, and I I was one of the few people who said. Why, why are we trying to change who he is? He just had a 3.14 ERA his rookie year. Yeah. Have him do that again. And he tried to go with more of the curveball, tried to use the cutter. And a lot of people think the cutter is a big part of the problem with what his fastball was last year because the fastball command was the issue last year. It, it was belt high, way more than what it was in 2019. And even when it wasn't belt high, it wasn't up. I mean, it wasn't on the, it wasn't on the corners, So it just wasn't that good. And when you don't have that extra curveball, the slider to go along with it, the fastball is going to get crushed. And like you said, his changeup was fine last year. He just wasn't able to get to it because he wasn't put in situations where he had to, where he was able to throw it. So I don't think anything he said wasn't true, but when he's at his best, he's a three, four, five starter. The ace that he was starting on opening day was just, from a, the fact that the Potter's rotation wasn't as strong. Mm-hmm. And now that the rotation is much stronger, that's just not what the Potter's need him to be. I still think it could be a strong part of the Potter's rotation in bullpen for the next upcoming years. But like you said, his ceiling that Potter's fans thought he was in 2019 of being an ace or a number two pitcher just isn't the type of pitcher that he is, but he can still be a good pitcher for the Potter's. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a big spring and a big, uh, first half of the season for Paddock and, and, and trying to figure out how to get major league hitters out. It's, it's not an easy task. Uh, we'll just have to hope that the, the fastball command comes back. I think that the cutter and the usage of it was a problem for him last year. It was just his location just wasn't where it needs to be. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a four seam straight fastball kind of guy and and he needs to be able to locate that stuff. And we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. The bottom line is that the Padres have options and that's a good thing. Uh, they don't have to rely on Chris Paddock. If Chris Paddock is unable to answer the bell, they can go somewhere else. And and that's a great thing that AJ Preller's uh, developed in this system and, and structured in this team that they're able to, withstand almost any kind of adversity that's that's bound to come their way in, in, a, in a full major league season so um awesome stuff from keith great show today uh we're running a little over so i think it's time to get us out of here dominic uh we will be back next week have another guest uh online uh scheduled for next week uh hopefully it comes through pretty decent show uh scheduled for uh next uh late next week so look for that uh dominic go ahead and take us out of here i think uh, we did some good work today for Padre fans Yes, hopefully Padres fans will be listening to this on Friday, the day that we have recorded this, getting it out within a couple of hours. This has been episode 137 of the Potters East Village Times podcast. Our guest today was Keith Law. You can find his work on theathletic.com. And as we mentioned, his new book, The Inside Game, uh, will be released in April of 2021. So you're going to want to make sure to be able to read that. You can find him on Twitter 
at Keith Law. It's pretty easy. Make sure to follow him. Posts a lot of cool content there and all the times where he guest stars on other podcasts like this one. Follow James and I on Twitter. Follow me at DMstern19 to see all my content. Follow James at EVT underscore J Clark to see his thoughts on the Padres because he is much smarter than I am. Yeah, make sure right. to follow. <laughs> make sure to follow us at EVT Podcast to know whenever we record something and whenever we post videos relating to this podcast. And then also make sure to follow us at EVT underscore News to make sure you know whenever we post any content on EastVillageTimes.com. So we thank you all for tuning in. We will catch you next week with our guest that you won't want to be able to miss because he knows far more about the Padres than we do. That is for certain.